And welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgettis, and especially welcome to our Thursday show. Love our Thursday shows every single week. There's so much fun. A very special guest joining us in studio, a wonderful crowd of studio audience. Just great to have friends and supporters here. I also want to take a moment to thank our staff here at Real News PR and Real News Connections Network, RNCN. The reason this show comes off so flawlessly when it does is because of the great staff we have here and how they are they're responsive to last minute changes, last minute things I think I want to add and graphs I want to put up. So I'm grateful to Emilio Diaz, my producer today and almost every day, um, and just thank the whole staff here. So to welcome you to the show today, um, I want to tell you that the guest joining us is named Jackie Deason. And she was on our show, we were talking earlier before the show started. She's been on the show before, but not for quite a while. And before I launched into telling her, telling you all about her and her expertise in energy and what she understands about the energy industry is just so, so important in, this days, in these days of ESG and high gas prices and inflation flowing from the energy policy we're uh, living through in our country. Before we get to all of that, I want to quickly tell you about an event that's coming up this weekend. And I sent Mr. Emilio a flyer about this. And if you can put that up, this is called Renewal at the Border. Renewal at the Border. And so we're going to find that flyer. Um, and it is, what I quickly tell you about it is this is a, um, an effort by uh, Yako Boyan's ministry. Um, and, and yeah, you can see it there too. Okay, Renewal at the Border. So the quick story is, uh, Yaakov Boyan's ministry is a fabulous, fabulous organization that really works to fight child sex trafficking. They do, uh, they outreach in many, many ways. They support uh, children who've been trafficked. They try to track down the networks, do a lot of work talking in the media, exposing uh, what is going on. Uh, and child sex trafficking is a horrific problem in America, much of it stemming from people crossing the southern border. So this weekend, just in a couple of days, uh, there is an event at the border. It's called Renewal at the Border. It's sponsored by Yaakov Boyan's ministry. You do have to have a ticket to go, but you can, they are free tickets. You can go to Breitbart. If you go to Breitbart.com and just type in Renewal at the Border, it'll pop up and you can get yourself a ticket. And the reason that they are going there is not as many of his missions are to investigate, but this mission is really to expose the harm at the border to people living along the border, the ranchers, the farmers, who literally have to live through, if you can picture this, getting up in the morning and finding bodies, deceased individuals on their property. Uh, they are often threatened by people who've crossed the border. I don't think the people threatening them are the innocent people being brought across, but it's the coyotes, it's the cartels, it's the drug dealers threatening them, demanding food, demanding shelter, demanding all sorts of things at their front door. And a lot of these people along the border are thinking, does anyone in America care? Do you even know what's happening at the border? So Yako Boyan's mission this weekend is to be at the border with a large crowd of patriots to go down there and expose for America what, it, what happens at the border and the impact on everyday lives of Americans who live along the border. It's going to be partly worship, prayer for the people down there, letting them know we care about you and exposing what is happening uh, down there for all the world to see. So again, go to Eventbrite. It's called Renewal at the Border. Tickets are free, but they require tickets because they're going to keep out pestiferous reporters, uh, enemies of this cause, and other people who'd be disruptive. They want this to be positive, upbeat, and supportive for the Americans living along the border. And I hope that you all can consider going. And if you cannot, at least check out Yako Boyan's ministry online and learn all the things that he is doing. And with that, I want to introduce our guest today. Uh, Jackie Deason hosts a show called Jackie Daily, and it is on the Blaze Network. She's a lawyer by background, and she also worked on Capitol Hill in Washington, DC. Uh, she was counsel to the chair of the Subcommittee on the Constitution, who also happened to be a really smart guy related to oil. So she learned about the oil and gas industry in Texas. In between Washington job and today, she also worked with, uh, with the Texas Public Policy Foundation and their energy division called the Life Power Division. And we've had Jason Isaac on the show who heads up that division uh, more than once. He speaks at our summit. He's just an awesome uh, speaker on the issues of energy. So we're gonna talk to Jackie today about a lot of issues related to energy in America, especially ESG. So let's welcome to the show, Jackie Deason. 
Thank you. Really, really good to be with you. And it's my first time in your in this set, and it's beautiful. Isn't it it's so beautiful. fun? I love it. You should do a show here. Oh, I, you know, I should. I mean, now, <laughs> the Blaze where I do my show has great studios, but mostly I'm in the radio section, so I don't spend a lot of time over in those movie studios, the she-she part where Walker, Texas Ranger was made and yeah. Oliver Stone films and those kinds of things. Well, it's quite a feather in your cap, though, to have a show at Blaze. It's really wonderful. The Jackie Daly Show, and you use the information you learned, the uh, perspectives and all that about energy. Uh, to And actually, I, I heard someone else introduce you once and say that she's the best I've ever heard at making complicated energy issues sound really understandable. That's why you're here, because I want you to make these <laughs> issues understandable. So I'm just going to start with very uh, a quick, simple thing. So right now, the Biden administration is bragging because gas prices are coming down, proving that their energy policies work, or so say they. So why are gas prices coming down in this era of inflation and of his uh, energy policies? Well, it's, there's never one single cause when it comes to energy, because what we have to remember is that oil, gas, coal, these are commodities. These are worldwide commodities. So oil is said to have a world price, which is Brent. Um, natural gas has been continental. North America has a price, Asia has a price. When you put supply on, the price goes down, you know, take supply off, the, pr the price goes up. So we all impact each other. So I will say it is not fair to blame Biden for everything. It's not fair to credit the president for everything. But what he can do is put his boot on the neck of energy producers, which he does at every turn, as hard as he can, as much as he can, and he made it very clear in the campaign trail that climate was his first priority across every agency. And I mean every agency. Things that you think would have nothing to do with climate, like the Department of Labor. You might think, what does the Department of Labor have to do with climate? Well, in his eyes, a lot. So, for example, they regulate ERISA, um, you know, private sector pensions. Um, and they have these rules that encourage ESG policies which is wokeness, a wokeness score for your investments. You know, is it, is it woke enough? Is it green enough? Is it, um, you know, all about supposedly governance and social issues? But it's not what you and I might call social justice. It's more like liberal politics. Is it liberal enough? And therefore it gets a great score. And they want the, the ERISA compliant pension managers uh, to emphasize these types of investments. In other words, your money is funding the green movement. That's really what it comes down to, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with the agenda or not. That's what the government is encouraging, even through DOL, labor, Department of Labor. So it's, it's all the way across. And so I think, okay, when the economy slows down, unfortunately, um, that will bring the price down, right? When there's less demand for something, um, you, you have a lower price. And so part of what's happening, we're expecting a recession to be right ahead. And some people would tell you we've been in it for a while. <laughs> uh, if you haven't redefined the word recession yet, uh, you probably <laughs> believe we're already that. in it. Yeah. But, uh, but the fact is that people are expecting less. And then sometimes you'll see something like China will lock down an entire region, which is a lot of people, a country with you know, 1.3 billion people. If they do a massive lockdown, demand immediately goes down worldwide because they're so huge. We're, we're, we're you know, 25% uh, of China. So all kinds of things are happening that can make the price go up and down, but he'll take credit anytime it goes the way we like. I do want to just, uh, this is not the pick on Biden hour, but because we're going to get to ESG and what's being discussed at World Economic Forum. But right, one of Biden's first steps when he became president, early, early steps, was to shut down the Keystone Pipeline, mm -hmm. which uh, was just one step, but he's taken other, and you follow energy more closely than I. I want to add, quickly have you tell us, so the Biden administration choices made on a regulatory level, they do tend to dampen our production of energy domestically in America, not just Keystone, but other decisions limiting uh, oil production, limiting fracking. Is that accurate that he really has tamped down America's energy production? Dramatically and as hard as he can. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I one time tried to keep count of how many hostile policies, either actual or proposed, I saw coming out of the Biden administration. And to be fair, the Western Energy Alliance got me started because they counted the first 80. And then I started adding, 
you know, I tweet 81, 82, 83. And, you know, most of it you've never heard of and you won't because it happens in the administrative agencies. Some unelected bureaucrat in a basement is drawing up any way possible to stop energy production. So it's not Congress where it's actually a news story. The shiny object is Congress or the White House, but it goes on mostly in the agencies. So for example, a rule that makes it easier for a state or a, a tribe, and there are hundreds of those, to just veto a pipeline pathway. Those are the kinds of things you don't hear about, but they happen all the time. They're working every day in these buildings in Washington to do exactly this kind of thing. Every little step kills US energy and helps our competitors, OPEC, Russia, all the other dozens and dozens of countries around the world. So it, it, it doesn't stop us from consuming more. I mean, every year the world consumes more and more oil and gas. It's just someone else's. Exactly. I'm glad you made that point about the agencies because that is one thing that it is, it's clever as a means of taking away freedom because they're not accountable. You can't vote them out of office. And often, as you say, no one even knows what they're doing. If Congress passed a law saying, yay, we're shutting down Keystone or we're going to shut down uh, this form of fracking or this, this permission to drill here or there, and it made public, got public attention, but the agency is doing it, it is a, and it's coming from the top. It's directions or agenda from the top. Agencies never count. I'm glad you made that point. Okay, I want to jump into ESG because everyone's been hearing about this. And um, ESG stands for, as I know you know, Environmental, Social, and Governance. And this whole ESG idea, it's, I, I saw it talked about online as like a mission. It's different from a policy, it's a mission, ESG mission. And in particular, of course, environmental is targeting fossil fuels and traditional sources of energy. So first of all, is, it, did, is this all a Larry Fink BlackRock production, this ESG idea? Is that where it came from? You know, it goes back officially about 20 years, and actually a little bit before that. It used to be called SRI, Socially Responsible Investing. And it started out probably a lot more pure than it is today. And the idea was, you know, invest in things you believe in, which I think we could all agree with. So do not be amoral or unmoral or immoral in your investments, you know, which I can kind of buy into. I mean, I hope we all buy into things we believe in, do not invest in companies that use child labor, you know, exploit people, um, you know, uh, benefit Slave the cartels, labor. whatever's going on. There are a thousand reasons why you might not believe. It might be like a, um, you know, like a sin company, tobacco. Don't invest in tobacco or alcohol or whatever. Fine, wonderful. If that's how an individual wants to invest, great. So they would have these consultancy firms to explain, here are our picks for what is a uh, you know, a moral investment versus an immoral investment. Well, then it morphed over time from you invest your own money into what you believe in, which is great. You, maybe you don't care the returns aren't as high. You're just supporting what you like. But what if it's a pension fund and your only job under U.S. law is to maximize the returns for the pension holder and beneficiaries? It is not to play politics by throwing money into the green movement, most of which is ineffective anyway at achieving green goals. And so the, the pensioner loses their security because a little handful of people who are the pension fund managers, who have a fiduciary duty to the pensioner, is throwing money into political causes. And so that's what this has turned into. Someone realized, you know, it's a lot easier to take control with controlling policies through the private sector, Wall Street, businesses, corporations, then through Capitol Hill or the White House. I mean, for crying out loud, you have to elect people and win popular approval and we all have to agree and you have to get past the filibuster and well, there's none of that. If you just somehow get control of the big three asset managers, BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, and there are many, many, many others, and we realize that, that those three companies, for example, all own somewhere between five and 25% of 90% of the companies in the major indices, like the S&P. Imagine that. They basically have a controlling interest, or a highly influential interest at, at least, yeah. in all these companies. Um, and then they all own part of each other. 
Yeah. So BlackRock owns State yeah. Street. State Street owns BlackRock. BlackRock owns, owns Vanguard. It's a very incestuous relationship. So this is a very small number of people who have effectively you know, gobbled up um, so much of the U.S. private sector. And they're more powerful, I promise you, than any U.S. senator. They're, they're more powerful than the president sometimes. And so how did that happen? And it's a long story, but the bottom line is um, they are trying now to say whoever controls the gravy train, which is the money. So for example, you can't drill a well um, without cash. It's almost always from Wall Street or some uh, private equity fund or whatever. Very rarely, it happens sometimes, but um, do people just say, yeah, I've got a few million laying around. You know, <laughs> usually you use someone else's money and leverage it, right? And so when they cut off the money to things like the US oil patch, this is devastating to our energy security, to production, gas prices, everything's impacted. Inflation will begin to go up because oil and gas are built into the price of everything. And I make this point all the time. You can't name one thing you've purchased in the last year that either wasn't made from oil, like my clothes and my electronics and my cosmetics, or manufactured with electricity, which is primarily made from natural gas and coal. So it's built into the price of everything. And, and so when, when they declare war on US energy and make the supply go down, the price of everything goes up. So that's, that's like the overview of what I'm concerned about, but I'm even more concerned about the control than the economy. It's, it's the control of everyone. It's, it's, it's the question, it answers the question, why would so many American corporations that used to try to be apolitical, right, 20 years ago, they didn't want to be Democrat or Republican. They didn't want to offend half of their customer base or client base. Well, now they will. Now you'll see, you know, these 300 companies gave money to the BLM while their riots are resulting in arson and, and lawlessness. Why? They don't have a choice. If they want to keep getting financed by their, their investors um, or insured now, insurance companies are going woke and won't insure you, it will cancel you if you don't agree with their wokeness. I want to try to dig in, and um, I, that was a great explanation, overview, and um, <clears throat> I'm probably going to go back and listen to it later and take notes, but to really be clear about where this force comes from. So uh, not to particularly pick Justin, Larry, Fink, and BlackRock, but these large financial houses have embraced the ideology or the thinking of ESG, which we'll just stick with the E part, the environmental part. They are pushing on corporations the demand about uh, reducing, eventually limiting fossil fuels, using uh, more about renewables, all sorts of policies that embrace the uh, anti-fossil fuel world. And so they control, they control the investments that made by their companies. So they really, what you're getting at, I'm trying to get the idea, if you're some company saying, we just want to you know, manufacture widgets or coffee cups or something, you, to get yourself listed, I mean, and you end up fe feeling forced by these large entities to comply with their ESG theme, or otherwise you can't get them to invest in your company. Right. And in particular, pension funds, people, you know, no one or most Americans don't know. They know they have a pension fund. They know money is going to come to them when they're retired, but they're not even aware of where their pensions are invested. But these people pulling the strings are controlling pension money and they're dictating environmental policies that are very anti-fossil fuel, very woke, very pro-renewable. And so you end up being the victim of it as the recipient, or you, you aren't able to get around it. Is that all right? Right. So your pensions seem to be chronically underfunded, even though the U.S. market on average grows between 8 and 11% a year over its lifetime, even factoring in the depression. So how, you know, you could buy an index fund and be ahead. How can these experts that run these pensions get it so wrong all the time? I'll give you one example. Um, in New York City, there are multiple pension funds for their city workers. One of them invested 12% of the fund into something called the Green Activism Fund. Okay, what were it's, they it's, thinking? Or, Sorry. It's, it's very close, Green Activism. I don't even know what that means. And so that's $22 billion. It lost 600 basis points while the rest of the market was going up, 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 up. Okay, that's not acceptable. Someone was making a decision, a group, a committee, 
who are the fiduciaries for that plan. And um, if this were ERISA, for example, so not a state or city pension, but a private um, retirement account, you can sue. You have a private right of action under ERISA. Um, It's not as easy if you are a city worker or a state worker. Your state attorney general needs to jump in there and do something about that because clearly they're not making decisions based on the sole um, benefit of the pension holder, which is what the law requires. So ERISA, Employee Retirement Income Security Act, is only uh, relevant to the private sector. Yeah, okay. So these people you're describing have no access to that remedy. Okay, so back to this, I mean, what I want to get at ultimately on this ESG thing is, it's like so many other things seem to be in life these days that your life is impacted by policies and decisions you didn't vote for, you don't support, you may really be opposed to the radical climate change agenda, but somehow your money is forced into supporting it. Is that accurate? Yes, because you paid that pension, right? It was part of your job. Right. People have very little control over the options, the the menu of options available to them if you're a state employee, right? And then can you name one manager of your pension? I couldn't when I worked for government. Almost no one can. Can you name one decision they've made in the past five years? Like, who is watching this? and really paying attention and making sure there's not funny business going on. And they're just saying, oh, I'm going to um, invest into the green fund because it's good for the planet. Well, what about this person's financial security 20 years from now? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I want to show, and for our radio listeners, I'm going to show two graphs, and I will describe them to you. Uh, if you're watching online, you can see them. Um, but I want to just tell you what they are. Because all of what we're describing, the environmental movement, the the climate change movement, is largely driven by the argument that CO2 or an excess level or increased level of CO2 is so dangerous it's going to kill us all. We're going to be, you know, if we have a CO2 level increased by a small amount, uh, that that we all may perish. And so the goal of, of, of ESG, the goal of other people speaking about climate change, including right now at World Economic Forum, is to fight against a CO2 level. I'm just gonna, and, and so you know, my happy listeners, these charts came from that filing I've mentioned to you in the past, and it's always available at our website because it was really, really significant. It was a filing by two professors, uh, one from MIT and one from Princeton, who are you know, PhDs, long experienced in climatology and, and in understanding environmental truth, and they filed a very lengthy, I think it's 51-page uh, comment on a proposed SEC rule. And their basic point in this, because the SEC rule was going to impose additional transparency and reporting requirements on companies regarding their CO2 emissions. And it wasn't just on the companies uh, that the SEC, they're listed with the SEC, but it was those companies and the companies that they uh, re- contract with. So it was a very... Uh, hold on, get that chart back down one second. Okay, it was a very, um, had long tentacles in, in this regulation. So these two professors filed this SEC opposition comment during the formal SEC comment period. And in summary, what they said, this is their summary, as career physicists, science demonstrates there is no climate-related risk caused by fossil fuels and CO2. Thus, no scientific basis for the proposed rule. And if adopted, disastrous consequences for people worldwide and the U.S. because it would reduce CO2 and the use of fossil fuels. They're saying actually pushing CO2 levels down would hurt us. And one more second, Amelia, I want to put that second chart up first, the one that has just one color, the CO2. Okay, so, so you, can you put it between us two so they can, that happy audience can see it? And I'm, why this matters, I, I know this is hard on radio, but very quickly, what this is telling you is across the bottom are years. At the far left is 600 million years ago, up to far right, the present. And it's measuring CO2 concentration, PPM. It's a measurement of how much CO2 is concentrated in the environment. So you can see if we're at essentially net zero at this time, is we're not really at zero, but with such a small percentage, back long before cars, airplanes, trains, and the combustible engine existed. In fact, uh, just around 550 million years ago, the level of CO2 in the Earth's atmosphere was 
up at eight or nearly 8,000 ppm versus zero now. Point being, in basic human terms, far more CO2 is in the environment at a variety of periods in history long before humans came along with the combustible engine. Second chart, just to show, and vital to understand these facts before we go back to Jackie. This is a chart that has two colors on it, red and blue. Blue is telling you, this again goes back, um, this goes back 4,600 years ago. Okay, so on the blue is the CO2 level and the red is the temperature. And all you have to conclude or understand about this is the argument of the climate alarmist is if CO2 levels increase, the temperatures will increase, we're all going to die because we're, it's going to get too hot. What you can see through thousands of years of history is there's no correlation or very little correlation between CO2 and, and uh, temperatures. In fact, the argument that CO2 drives up temperatures is not borne out at all. And in fact, if anything, it is that temperatures eventually impact CO2 level. All getting around to say this hysterical fear we've been facing is based on that. Two last facts. You can come back to me. Two last facts. I always do this, and you probably already know the answer, but what percentage of the atmosphere, our happy atmosphere on the Earth, what percentage is made up of CO2? Anybody know? Like everything in the environment, all these gases. 0.04. That's how much of our environment is made of CO2. All the other things make up the rest. And then the other related fact is what percentage of that 0.04 that is the CO2 level in our environment is there, is caused by human activity? Out of all the CO2, under 5%. Now let's go back and talk. Okay. <laughs> I mean, those facts, if you force yourself to observe, uh, you know, absorb them and repeat them, the idea that we're in a hysterical push to shut down CO2 is utterly irrational. Well, and because the Earth needs it, it's plant food. Um, so it's actually a, a vital part. There's a reason why we have it's it's on the planet in the first place. And um, so if you look at this this photo that NASA puts out about you know what the globe looks like from space, you'll see the greening of the Earth over the past 20 years. Um, and this is because there is more CO2, and actually that causes plants to grow a lot faster. So greenhouses like that sell commercial plants pipe CO2 into the greenhouse to grow the plants faster, much, much, much faster. So nature has its way of balancing levels, more plants, right, and less plants, whatever the, the moment calls for. And so I heard, I think it was Patrick Green, the founder of Greenpeace said, you know, there was a time before the industrial revolution where we actually harnessed all this oil and gas and coal when the parts per million we're about to go below 150, which would actually be dangerous for plant life on Earth. Optimally, you would want higher levels than that. So he's arguing that like fossil fuels actually brought balance back to the Earth, um, or be a very different Earth at this point. So um, I, I think that nature was functioning, as you saw in that graph, long before we were here to micromanage it. It got by just fine without our help and our expertise. Um, so the question is, what are we trying to save here? Are the environmentalists worried about us or about the Earth? Because the Earth did just fine with 8,000 parts per million, as you showed on the graph. So I'm not too worried about the planet. It'll be just fine. Um, for us, most of these projections you see about how there will be X number of climate refugees 20 years from now if we do nothing, well, and, and deaths, you know, it assumes that people don't move. Like, the world's shorelines have been changing since the beginning of time. Look at the Grand Canyon. You can tell it used to be covered in water, right? That's obvious. The, the West Texas oil patch is called the Permian Basin. You just saw the Permian on that graph. It's like 250 to 300 million years ago that they're talking about. The reason there's oil in West Texas is because at that time, uh, West Texas was covered in ocean. It was an ocean. And all of that weight pushing down on all of that plant matter creates the oil. So that's how much the earth has changed without any help from us. And it will continue to change. So yes, there are, there are cities that we unwisely build below sea level. Is that a problem? 
if there's enough climate change? Yes, yes it is. But the answer is you move the people or you adapt and build different types of structures. It might seem crazy right now or, or 100 years ago to build New Orleans nine feet below sea level, but guess what they did? And they could because of technology. So mankind has a way. I, I have every confidence that yes, the climate is changing. Yes, we're contributing some. And whatever challenges come, we will meet it. We will fix it or we will adapt. We will live. I'm not worried about us. We, we've got this one. I, I actually feel really good about it. I am not panicked or, or fearful. You made some allusion a moment ago to uh, who's being helped by all this push right. to, to reduce CO2. And, and, you know, the people who are, I've used the term climate alarmist because I do think there's an agenda to alarm people. Uh, my little soapbox is they pick a topic that most people, we recognize we're not experts. I mean, you're an expert, but I'm not an expert in climate. Many people are not. And so they just tend to believe what they're told. So they're told certain things to make them fearful. But so what is the agenda? I mean, do people who are pushing climate alarmism and want to shut down, I mean, they want to fly jets over to World Economic Forum and, you know, flit around with one, flit around the world in a jet while we're being told not to drive cars. But what is really their agenda then? So, I mean, some people genuinely believe. Some people are genuine zealots, and I was that way as a teenager. I was a rabid environmentalist back then. Part of why I am the way I am now is because I'm bitter about the fear that was instilled in me, and the pessimism, and the doomsday, and the, the happiness that was robbed for no reason. We had problems back then, acid rain, and uh, a vanishing ozone layer that's now recovering nicely. Um, we, can, we can fix problems. But back to the agenda, this is so important. I think it's getting everyone on board with this, you know, trillions of dollars in spending on the green agenda. Well, some people, like the people on Capitol Hill I used to work alongside, the lobbyists and everyone lining up at the federal trough for their appropriation, they hear trillions of dollars and their first question is, how do I get in line for that? Yeah. And so you get enough powerful especially corporate interests, and that's exactly what it is, okay? It's corporate America who's getting in line. Oh, you want solar panels? We'll get you a solar farm. You know, you're funding electric vehicles? We'll build a vehicle factory or battery factory or whatever. There are all kinds of people. Like one day I was in Washington in 2007. It was like everyone I knew suddenly is telling me, I'm going to join this solar company. Like here, there, there, there. I'm like, what's going on? Well, because the feds announced we really want to fund this to the hilt. So suddenly everyone's founding a company to do green energy. So part of it is if you build the, the vision that we're gonna get governments on board to tax the people and take that money and redistribute it to whoever gets in line up here, a lot of people get in line, especially the most competent, well-funded, best lobbyists. You know, uh, this is how this happens. This is, this is how some people govern. It's what um, the former speaker John Bader would call the transactional side of the business. Ugh. I can't stand that term, right? I can't, I can't stand it. But explain why he would say that, what that means exactly. It means there's Congress as you understand it, and then there's the appropriations, which is all the people getting in line for their money. And that's how they stay in power. If I make these people happy and give this company, you know, this vaccine contract federal on, on the federal booking, and um, this company, this defense company gets to build this plane, and you know, Make sure they're all getting their cut and they'll support you. And that's how you stay in power. And that's how some people govern. And so certainly internationally we see this. But back to who's benefiting, it's not just the people who want to get in line to make money. There's plenty of those. And that's most of the, the powered interest. But I'm really concerned about the people who are funding some of the activism and the NGOs and um, the nonprofits and the pressure campaigns. I have seen sometimes people representing the uh, Gulf states, sovereign wealth funds. I'm talking now about members of OPEC, so like Saudi Arabia, or you're talking about you know, um, uh, UAE, or it might be Qatar, or it might be Oman, oh any of these oil producing countries, um, they have these large sovereign wealth funds and they can be very activist. They're tied into the biggest finance names in the world. And Everything that is bad for us, U.S. oil and gas and Canadian oil and gas, is good for them. 
they're going to jump right in and take all that market share. So they've got all of these green people, and it's not really green, but that's a different show, but pressuring people like ExxonMobil here down the, the highway to come out with an ESG statement about reducing carbon, basically committing suicide. They right. sell carbon. You know, oil is a hydrocarbon. It's their product. But they want them to go to net zero or whatever. Okay, every suicidal statement by a U.S. oil and gas company, which should get your attention, like what? To get their funding helps our competitors, which is OPEC, which is Russia, which is all of our um, adversaries. So I think that, that, that you know, we know Russia funds the green movement and has for years and years and years. So, and so Russia funds the green movement in America. Correct, yeah. Okay, I mean, I, I, I'm, you're, you can go ahead. I'll, I'll so there's a, a, and you know, people, people don't believe this stuff. I'm like, okay, look, first of all, they'd be crazy not to. Okay, it's actually pretty easy to do. Um, there's, there are some great reports from the U.S. Congress to prove this. Lamar Smith, who was representing San Antonio area, and chair judiciary when I was a staffer there, then he went to science committee, did a report. And he said that the Russians, um, for every dollar that they invested on social media to uh, influence the U.S. presidential election, and this was in 2016, not the 2020, but the 2016, for every dollar they put into that, they put 50 cents into opposing U.S. oil and gas. So they're, um, you know, throwing money into Twitter and Facebook to, you know, oppose Keystone XL pipeline, oppose fracking, and also in Europe. So there's a guy named Rasmussen who is the leader over at, um, at the UN, or the, rather the EU, and he said that Russia was responsible for funding the anti-fracking campaigns um, in France and Germany. And they'd be crazy not to. I mean, this is their business. They're, they're kind of a petro-state. So the majority of their budget and their exports is oil and gas. So anything they can do to destroy the number one producer, which is the U.S. in a good year, they're going to do it because immediately the prices go way up, and that's to their benefit. High prices benefit OPEC and Russia. And, yes, U.S. oil and gas companies, but only so long as we're in the game. So Texas Public Policy Foundation, I think it was Jason Isaac, told me, and he has this graph to show it, that investment in the U.S. oil and gas industry since 2015, this shocks me, in North America, so it'd be us and Canada, down 94% since 2015. That's how effective ESG has been. And that's scary, I mean, it's terrifying, because that's our, that's our energy security, our geopolitical bargaining chip, not being dependent on our enemies. So that's how serious this is, and our economy, obviously. So everything's, you know, Senator Tom Cotton said, let's investigate the climate cartel for giving us $5 gasoline because it's the climate cartel that's pressuring all of these companies that produce oil, from which gasoline is made, um, to not produce or produce less or be more green. You know, uh, one thing you said remind me of something which I've covered in my show before. I'm, it's a slightly off on a tangent, but the idea that Russia is funding the green movement here is similar to something I've talked about, which is it's just, it's so deeply bothersome. More people don't know this and that there aren't leaders in Washington and around the country saying this, but Antifa and Black Lives Matter is funded by the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. So you think these are organic movements in America. My goodness, these people, they hate America and they're so repressed. They are funded by the CCP. And when you know that, it changes everything of what you think about them. Well, the same thing about this. People have a sense that, that young people who are environmentalists, and, and you know, you're not alone. I think you mentioned as a teenager being concerned. You'd have to be heartless not to be concerned as a young person if you don't have information like this. You just think, well, gee, uh, these evil corporations, and they, they just do bad things to the environment, and, you know, um, I just want to say, I want my you know, the earth to be clean. I mean, you, you, can, you can talk yourself into a morally virtuous view of yourself that you're standing up for these and against these evil corporations, and you're being played. You're being played by Russian money supporting this. And so it, the people advocating for this climate alarmism and an overreaction to climate change, they're either on, you know, getting the money, recognizing exactly what's happening, uh, they're the useful idiots who, you know, to use Lenin's term, the useful idiots. They can be manipulated in a place. They can march right down the street and they're marching. They think it's what's true and they have no idea what they're doing. But I'll tell you what really bothers me. You mentioned Lamar Smith, who I haven't have known for a long time. He's a great guy. 
But I, those kind of stories that Russia funds a green movement here, they should be headlines in every major news outlet right. in the country. Right. People should realize these are just people being played by right. our enemies, by the Russians, and or by the Chinese probably fund it too. Right. And so he and referred not. it. He referred it uh, for investigation to the U.S. Treasury Department. And so, and why did that not make news everywhere? I talk about it on my show, but um, to be to be very circumspect here, understand that. We do it too. Like our country is just as bad as far as trying to influence other countries and it's part of why there's some anger and resentment. Any major power that has the money will do this. They will, yes, absolutely. Russia tried to influence the election in 2020 and 2016 and 2012 and 2008. I mean, going back to at least the Cold War, absolutely. And so it actually, as I said, they'd be crazy not to, it's, it's not impossible to throw money into propaganda arms from Russia. Why wouldn't you? People watch RT, Russian TV, all the time. It's obviously an arm of the Russian government. Why should anyone trust what they're saying on RT? But, but Americans watch it. It's entertaining, actually, right? And it's, it's very anti-American. I mean, it, it's, made, it's, it's there to make you not love your country um, every now and then I catch a segment. But people watch it. Uncritically, even that is explicitly well, Russian. Well, they do, and I, I'm fully aware that America influences elections around the world. They influences public. They do a lot to influence public opinion. They have the influencers. I'm fully aware we do that, and and I, I doesn't doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't but, bother me much either. <laughs> but <laughs> but like, because I think it's just it's living in the in the real world because right. everyone. Yeah. But in America, the climate agenda, the climate alarmism agenda is so extreme and so, as you were describing at the beginning of our conversation, so all-encompassing. It is, Biden has, President Biden has agencies around, uh, all around Washington, you know, focused and laser focused on climate and how come, as, as though it's the biggest emergency possible. And we've managed to really weaken our country. We, we were at the end of President Trump's first term, I mean, maybe only term. We were energy independent. We were, happily producing and selling energy and now we are weakened we are we're reliant on our enemies we have president biden talking about buying oil from venezuela because somehow when they bring oil out of the ground it doesn't do anything right. to the environment except here it does but yet but i mean it because it, it comes down to my big issue i'm always talking about it comes down to freedom if you don't have the capacity the freedom to produce energy and to have abundant, affordable energy, it changes everything about America and our freedom and our economy. So I want to ask you, do you, I, I heard this statement recently, I, I think I believe it's true, energy kind of drives everything. Energy prices, it drives inflation, it drives the economy, it's a major player, energy is, in everything about how our economy functions. Right, and you can't be a superpower without being at the top of the game in energy. And that, I mean, it determined the outcome of the last two world wars, arguably. And so, and, and it's the reason why during our superpower era, maybe we still have it going on a little, maybe it's arguable, you know, all of your lives, you've gone to the light switch, you flip it on, and you just take for granted, it's coming on. And not only that, you can run it all day and you can afford it. Not only that, you might leave for the summer, and for security, you'll leave it on all summer. You can afford that. That is actually rare as far as the world is concerned. That is, that is your, your um, blessing or wealth because of what previous generations have done to secure it for you. And energy was a key part. No one really disputed this. I mean, Churchill was really big on this, right? Churchill was like all about, okay, do we move off coal for the British Navy and move on to Middle Eastern oil? Um, how do we secure the Middle East? And they were battling even the United States surreptitiously. It's a, an amazing history in the Middle East, which is probably quite bitter over being, you know, fought over like um, a, pawn. a steak on a table. Yeah, um, it causes a lot of problems. Um, but yeah, it's the story of, of the world section of the newspaper, especially warfare, is often about energy supply or a pipeline route. And, and you're not told that part of the story. You're told why these people are bad. You know, and maybe they are, right? Or maybe they're not. I mean, there's a narrative. There's always a big narrative 
that dehumanizes the other side and justifies our side, and we don't talk about the underlying resources, we should always read uh, above their narrative to the physical nuts and bolts of a conflict, and often it's about energy, because it's, it's the most critical input, aside from people, human capital for an economy. Yeah. I believe it, I don't think it was Jason Isaac, but someone else from Texas Public Policy Foundation uh, was giving a speech one time talking about just the amazing blessing fossil fuels have been to the world. Because once you have fossil fuels and you're able to power things, you could, for example, get medicines to more remote parts of India or even remote parts in Scotland and Ireland where there just where there wasn't transportation. You could use fossil fuels to change to make the world more interconnected, to get vital uh, food, um, water, medications, whatever is needed. You could transport easily. It lifted much of the world out of helplessness. And the idea we have that and we've managed to vilify it is just it's just a sign of to me how evil this mo this uh, agenda is to to fight to to bring climate alarmism, which means uh, when I use that term, I mean using the concern about the climate to justify shutting down production of energy, limiting people's use of energy. It is the mo it is a it is send you back to the dark ages level behavior. So I want to ask you, you mentioned the um, oil companies kind of going along with, or to a certain degree going along with this. Why in the world, if you're, I mean, you're really smart and you know about energy, but so do the people who run the major oil corporations in America. So shouldn't they be striking out against the entire climate alarmism agenda? Because it seems like some of them kind of go along. A few things. I mean, first of all, the activists work their way onto the boards of these companies on these you know, years-long campaigns to try to take them over and hijack the agenda. There's some of that. But it, it's also, divide oil, for example, into like big oil, like Exxon, Chevron, Shell, and then everybody else, which is 95% of American oil and gas is not big oil. It's mom and pop shops, it's independent oil companies, is what they call it. And so sometimes the big boys will want carbon regulation, methane regulation, because mm. it regulates the little guys out of business. They cannot afford to compete. They don't have the army of lawyers and accountants and compliance and all that. They just can't do the ESG reports and all the metrics. And so um, it advantages always big business over small business. That's part of what's going on. Some of it is coercion. Some of it is they don't know what to do because again, they need money like everyone else. Exxon needs money too from Wall Street. So when the ESG guys show up and start the coercion business, everybody just lines up to make their ESG report calling for the death of their industry. So I think too, there's, there's, there's always been a silent, um, un, mostly unspoken sense that play the game because we know they can't live without us. Fine, we'll give you a report that says we're going yeah. to slit our yeah. own throat, but we know you can't run this economy for one second without our product. So in real life, nothing bad's gonna happen to us. And the answer is, that, well, that's true. We will consume as much or more oil and gas or energy, but you'll just get it from someone else. You'll get it from Canada, Mexico, Colombia, in this hemisphere, maybe even Venezuela, which is horrific. These are, these are countries that have very little environmental standards. The US has very strict uh, standards. We produce very cleanly, and so does Canada. Um, but Venezuela, I mean, the, these African countries run by dictatorships, no one's policing them. You know, they just do whatever it takes to get the product out of the ground and sell it to us. God knows what wars they're funding with these, these yeah. proceeds. So, so I think part of it is that um, the big guys run the show a little bit when it comes to the agenda, like on Capitol Hill. It's a lot easier to lobby if you're a big oil company than if you're a small you know, oil company. So um, some of it's just playing along. And, and by the way, watch, if you will, this is the only Michael Moore documentary I'll ever recommend. <laughs> ever. It's called Planet of the Humans. Show this to your grandkids and kids who are, are climate alarmists and very afraid. Um, Michael Moore set out to prove or, or basically show how we were going to do the energy transition, how we're going to get off fossil fuels, get onto all these renewables and new technologies. And what he found out is that the green movement, the way he says it, has been hijacked by corporate America. It is hijacked 
It, the agenda is completely overtaken. So all these big businesses that would normally be disadvantaged have their own way of capturing, you know, all of these tax credits for all these green programs. And, and I, I won't ruin the, um, the thrust of it, but I watched it three times. I took copious notes. Planet of the Humans, it was banned for a while. That tells you how good it is. Um, <laughs> it was fantastic. So I learned a ton. It's, it's graphic. I mean, it's, it's a well-done film. He's apparently a very sincere environmentalist who was disgusted by what he learned when he really got into the money of going green. So you, you're agreeing that what he's presenting is probably accurate. That yes. He, oh, that, that's so interesting. Planet yeah. of the Humans. Now, I'm going to watch it this weekend. Now, yes. you, you piqued my interest. Okay, we have a microphone available, and if people like to ask a question, what we do now is you need to come and stand kind of right there, and so you're standing up and hold the microphone, and you're free to ask a question. And while you're pondering your question, one last thing. Is it reasonable for any of the um, states making this statement or um, any other entities saying we're going to be uh, in our state, we're going to be on 100% renewables, uh, no fossil fuels of any kind by, and they'll say different years, 2050, 2040. Is that even conceivable or is, they, is that a pipe dream? That's like a double entendre, like a uh, pipe dream, pipelines. Okay, uh, go ahead anyway. <laughs> it is not possible in the next 10 years unless something really blockbuster is invented in the next, and who knows, 10 years from now, it's not possible in 20. I mean, even the International Energy Agency and the U.S. Energy Information Administration says in 2040, we'll be about 76% fossil fuels. Right now, we're about 80. That's how much things yeah. will change between now and then, and people in the industry know this. You know, they, that's why they're not worried. <laughs> no, the, the answer is I don't that's see that so happening in our lifetime. I don't see it happening. Oh, my goodness. So all you energy folks with questions. Um, I just want to ask, do you think it's really, it's been hijacked by the Marxists, all this energy stuff, all this climate, and uh, the policies of the Biden administration? I won't give him that other title. So there's, a, there's an expression um, in my circles, the watermelon, uh, which is an activist that is green on the outside and red on the inside. Marxist on the inside, commie on the inside, green on the outside, a watermelon. And so, yeah, it's definitely, um, I mean, some of them are sincere. They're, they're Marxists and they're green. Some of them, it's just a Trojan horse. The green movement is a Trojan horse, and they'll say it openly. I saw a statement from the World Economic Forum explaining how capitalism um, is the problem for the environment. And so the only way for them to achieve their goals is to destroy capitalism. So absolutely. There's a huge Marxist strain in there, and, but the people who are enabling them, like the corporate America, they're not Marxists, they're just opportunists. And I think, I think, I think of Elon Musk, okay? Like, most of the time I've been involved in this area of, of or this sphere of um, issues, I thought of him as like the largest welfare recipient in American history. Like, who has gotten more for running an agenda, billions of dollars, um, for technologies that are, like, they're perfectly fine. His cars are high quality. A solar panel is a fine product. I just don't want to be forced to pay for it when I know it cannot power the state. I know it can't power the city. I know it can't power, you know, if you took all the battery um, storage in the U.S. Um, and filled it full of energy, you could power New York City for an hour. That's it. So oh this is, and, and he knows this, right? But he took his billions anyway. And I think what happened is with people like him, initially, they're not Marxist. Um, they are not true believers, maybe, but they're just opportunists. Well, there it was, laid right out in front of him. And so maybe he's grifting a little, smartly. And then one day says, whoa, like, okay, making money's fine if I can get it off the government, who cares? But wait a minute, like this country is losing its freedom over these issues. I think that he's a person who genuinely has had a change in thinking, or at least opened his eyes to issues that he wasn't thinking about before. Um, and so notice how he's not talking about Tesla and Solar City and all this as much anymore. Now it's about, let's go into Twitter, which is not gonna be a moneymaker right this second, and try to improve civilization and freedom. I think he's like developed a conscience and it's a different era in life, but the people I'm talking about were like him 10 years ago. They don't even, they don't, I don't think they understand the damage 
that could be done by behaving this way. They're just like everybody else lined up uh, at the federal trough to get their cut. You know. Love that point. Is there another one? Um, and, and remember, please speak directly in the microphone and speak up so it gets picked up on air. All right. Thank you so much. You know, um, <clears throat> I started divesting myself of stocks many years ago. Um, I was a commissioner for environment and health, the only Republican on the commission of 14 commissioners in Dallas. And every time I hear the word sustainability, I run the other way. Right. That's another key word. When you hear that, Dog run whistle. the other direction. Dog whistle. Oh, but anyway, I started investing in real estate, and China's doing the same thing. What do you think of that? You know what? The Chinese are very smart. I mean, I would tell you that probably China has the best energy policy on Earth, which is we're going to secure as much of it as possible, as quickly as possible, with no regard to some ambitious international agenda. I mean, they do the photo ops at the UN and all of that. But in real life, they're building all these coal plants. They know that they're not going to destroy the planet, you know, and they're not going to let their economies go to shambles or let a billion people starve because of what someone at the World Economic Forum dreamed up because someone wants to get in line for some billions. I mean, I really think they're hyper-aggressive about producing and securing and gobbling up the world's energy supply just like we were 50 years ago, 100 years ago. And so we just seeded the ground and forfeited to them. That's what's happened. We, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of the world, the more remote parts of the world, where they show up and they offer all these incentives and relationships and they're really aggressive and we're just not even showing up. So, I mean, that's what's happened and it's hard to watch, like, it hurts me, but they're doing what you would expect. They're acting in their own best interest if I were running China, I'd run it the same way as far as energy policy, really. Well, actually, Jackie, then you need to be running America because America <laughs> needs America needs people who will act and think in America's best interest. We right. become deluded into thinking somehow if we're thinking globally and we're, we're really the more moral, uh, we're above others in our self-righteousness and morality, when the fact is America is suffering because we don't stand up for ourselves the way China does. One of the points I was going to mention, you talked about all the money related to um, perpetuating climate extremism and climate alarmism. You mentioned the government people lining up for uh, government funds. There was a great piece, and I didn't look for it today, but it was by a college professor talking about how in academia, all of the grants coming to universities, all these organizations give grants to professors and they write a grant application, they're going to do whatever it is. And if you cannot tie your grant application to alleged climate change, forget it. You could be wanting to research, you know, uh, I, I mean, the, the most simplistic thing, you know, um, how to boil water. But if you cannot explain how climate change will be aided by your research, you don't get the money. He was just lamenting it causes everyone to buy onto the climate agenda, even when they know it's not true to not challenge it because they will be out of their professorship, they won't get the funding. And it is really, it's a monetary movement in academia too. It's the most amazing thing. So um, we are pretty much out of time. Yep, we're going out of time in just a moment here. Um, if people want to watch your show, where do they go? So I'm easy to find. Just Google The Jackie Daily Show. That's Jackie with no E, daily like every day. Comes right up. So you can subscribe for free on theblaze.com, which is Glenn Beck's uh, outlet that you know it as, and um, iHeartRadio, Spotify, um, iTunes, Stitcher, and the website is the easiest way to find all that, jackiedaily.com. jackiedaily.com, J-A-C-I, Jackie. Um, and I actually printed out uh, three pages of your most recent shows. I was going to commend you. You have a lot of, uh, a variety of guests. I mean, they are mostly energy related. Some not exactly, but you really have a great uh, lineup of guests. It's radio. It's not video, so it's radio. You can listen in your car, one of the many sources, yep. um, and you really have made a, um, an amazing uh, show out of your knowledge about energy. So, Oh, thank you. And likewise. So, I mean, because Debbie and I, we used to be in the same neighborhood, and so we get to compare notes about what's going on, uh, Blaze and otherwise, and we have a lot of the same friends, and so I'm sure you would agree. It's, it's hard to have more fun than making a show. There's nothing I'd rather be That's doing right. <laughs> than making a show. Yeah, so 
absolutely. And, and congratulations to you too. I love, I, this is my first time, she's been here a while, but this is my first time here. And this is like Johnny Carson's show. This is like, there it's got go. the, the audience, <laughs> and the cameras, the lights. It's Jackie Deason and Jackie Daly Show, thank you so very much for joining me today. Absolutely. Great to have you. Yes, thank you. Good to be here. As I tell you at the close of every show, I do this show, America Can We Talk, to speak up for America. I hope you will tune in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk. You can find it online at americacanwetalk.org. I do this show to speak up for America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Thank you so much. That was great. That was great. Can we talk truth about America? Can you